KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, March 11th. A new approach to homelessness in San Diego. That's next, just after these headlines. Starting Monday, people ages 16 to 64 with underlying medical conditions will be able to get vaccines. Meanwhile, state officials say once 2 million vaccines have been distributed, they will shift the threshold for COVID-19 reopening tiers. Supervisor Nathan Fletcher says if we hit that 2 million mark next week, there's a high probability and likelihood uh, that next Wednesday we will descend into that tier. We obviously have to wait and see uh, what our numbers are next Tuesday. The less restrictive red tier would allow businesses to reopen for indoor operations at a limited capacity. More schools could reopen and after April 1st, fans could be welcomed back to Petco Park for in-person Padres games. The governor's office says the massive new federal coronavirus relief bill will pump more than $150 billion into the state's economy. Nearly half of that money will be $1,400 stimulus checks and expanded unemployment benefits. Another $26 billion will go to the state government, and about $16 billion will go to local governments split between cities and counties. More showers are expected in San Diego today, along with snowfall in the mountains. The rain is part of a slow-moving storm system that can linger around into Saturday morning in some areas. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by... Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria announced a new coordinated effort to help the city's homeless. KPBS reporter Max Rodland-Nadler tells us this begins with an approach that no longer centers on law enforcement. For years, San Diego has relied on different service providers to reach out to its homeless population, some focusing on veterans, others on youth, and others on seniors. Now, San Diego will move to coordinate all its efforts through the People Assisting the Homeless, or PATH program sending out a coordinated team of caseworkers assigned to different neighborhoods to build rapport and trust with the homeless community, and empowered with the ability to connect the homeless with the help they need that day. With this new coordinated outreach program, we're acknowledging that we need to provide a whole toolbox of options to the people who interact with our homeless. The new PATH outreach teams made possible by city council funds allocated last summer will send 12 outreach specialists into communities across the city to provide both help to those living on the street long term and those newly experiencing a crisis. They will help them overcome the challenges, the unique challenges, whether it's drug or alcohol addiction, mental illness, physical health problems, or other legal entanglements. We call it person-centered, neighborhood-based, trauma-informed, housing-focused fo approach. The mayor says that it's not all just jargon. It's a substantial change in how the city has been dealing with a crisis that city-led programs have not been able to alleviate for over a decade. 
Instead of ticketing, enforcement, and homeless sweeps, Gloria says the city will now lead with a housing first model that has worked in other cities across the world. That was KPBS's Max Rivlin Nadler. Nursing homes in California began reopening this week for in-room visits, but with restrictions. KPBS reporter Amitha Sharma says the reopening comes one year after the state locked them down. The California Department of Public Health now says fully vaccinated residents in purple-tier counties like San Diego can visit with loved ones in their rooms if the visitors tested negative for COVID-19 two days prior. Fully vaccinated visitors can now hug, hold hands, and help with feeding and grooming of fully vaccinated residents. In a letter to nursing homes, state health officials acknowledged the impacts of the one-year lockdown, writing, quote, residents may feel socially isolated, leading to increased risk for functional decline, depression, anxiety, and other expressions of distress. Mike Dark, lawyer for California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform, called the state's new visitation rules a milestone. But he said requiring visitors to test negative within two days of seeing a resident is challenging. What's kind of frustrating about that is it means that if you want to see a resident every day in a facility, you effectively are going to have to get tested every day which is a lot of testing, and it's not necessarily testing that's going to be provided by the facilities. The restrictions will loosen when San Diego drops into a lower tier for COVID-19. That was KPBS's Amitha Sharma. Some North County school districts are taking the state to court over the right to reopen schools on their own timeline. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more. It's close to a year since many students have seen the inside of a classroom due to the pandemic. Scott Davison with the Carlsbad Parents Association says he began hearing from other parents that the school closures are taking a toll on the students. You know, that their kids, you know, were starting to, to break down, that you know, a lot of them that, you know, we felt like they were just lonely or bored or quiet. were really having, you know, some serious, you know, mental health issues and we're acting out and we're, you know, engaging in self-harm. Now, some North County parents and school districts are taking legal action after the state said no to their reopening plans. They had plans, they had dates, they were ready to go, and then the state decided to step in for some arbitrary reason and, uh, and shut everybody down. And so that's really then our lawsuit you know, was redirected at the state, and that's where it is right now. The lawsuit was filed by six North County districts, Carlsbad, San Diego, Poway, Oceanside, San Marcos, and Vista. It asked the judge to prevent the state from enforcing two things. A mandate of, you know, four feet that, you know, we understand the the health regulations and the mitigation measures should all be put into place in a balance and that in some cases, if you can't achieve four feet, you implement other mitigation measures. And then the second issue is, is this issue of, uh, or this rule of stable groups that, you know, in a middle school and a high school that somehow we're supposed to keep the students in one classroom all day long, which is just, you know, completely impossible. The case was supposed to be heard Wednesday morning, but got delayed until Monday to give the state time to respond. Davison says that if the judge rules in their favor, some of the school districts involved could reopen the very next day. And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. 
There's a lot of delayed maintenance on city streets right now, potholes and broken streetlights. A recent city report says San Diego would need to spend $264 million over the next five years to fix and upgrade streetlights. It's money the city doesn't have, and some residents aren't happy. iNewsource investigative reporter Mary Plummer has more. Sunset Cliffs is home to one of the best views in the county. Each evening, people flock to the coastline to watch the sun dip below the Pacific Ocean. But residents and visitors say repairs are needed along a busy stretch of road and a popular sidewalk that has multiple streetlights out. There have been a few nights when my husband and I have come and and walked, and we did notice how much darker it is. That's Point Loma resident Fatima Raznik, who comes to the area for evening walks. One homeowner says she's reported the problem nearly two dozen times, but the city has yet to fix the lights. About 8% of the city's 54,000 streetlights have open fix-it requests. There's not an easy solution. The streetlights are aging and tough to fix and expensive, says San Diego Council member Joe LaCava. This is just one element of the infrastructure picture in our city uh, that really has some very daunting numbers. LaCava says even a tax or fee increase wouldn't cover the full cost. That was iNewsource investigative reporter Mary Plummer. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Coming up, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors is ordering an independent review of the COVID-19 hotel sheltering program. This follows an iNewsource investigation that found poor care and mismanagement. That story's next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. San Diego County Supervisors have ordered an independent review of the COVID-19 hotel sheltering program. The program, which is nearly a year old, provides shelter to people who need to isolate because of exposure to COVID-19 or who are homeless. A company hired to solve earlier allegations of mismanagement at the Crown Plaza Isolation Hotel in Mission Valley is now facing allegations of mismanagement itself. Reports of inadequate care untrained staff, hostile security guards, and frequent police calls surfaced in an iNewsource investigative report late last month. iNewsource investigative reporter Cody Dulaney spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh about the review. How many hotels are part of this program and about how many people do they house? Yeah, the county won't say how many hotels are involved or, or where they are even, only that, the, that it has secured 640 rooms for the program. Um, at the Crown Plaza, there were close to 300 people staying there late last month. And these rooms are used for temporary housing for two kinds of people, those who have come in contact with the coronavirus and those who are, who are at risk for developing severe illness if they do come in contact. And county health officials, they direct people to these rooms for isolation if they have nowhere else to go. 
So that could be first responders who need to isolate away from family members uh, or people who are going through immigration. Uh, but we're hearing the vast majority of people staying in these rooms are homeless people. An initial report by a news source on the Crown Plaza found that people, sometimes in mental or emotional distress, were not getting the care they needed. Can you remind us about that situation? Yeah. After the county started acquiring these hotels last March, county employees quickly became overwhelmed as they tried to manage. Uh, we obtained some emails from an employee saying she was begging and pleading for additional services. So they knew they weren't providing the mental health support and case management that these folks needed. And a few weeks later, staff found a man had died in his room by suicide. Five days had actually passed before his body was discovered. And staff members there had told us that there had been other suicide attempts there as well. So the county brought in a new management company. Tell us what is Equus Workforce Solutions supposed to be doing and how much is the county paying them? Yeah, Equus is responsible for providing guests with basic necessities, right? Such as three meals a day, laundry services, on-site security, and providing people with their medications. And it relies on several subcontractors to get that job done. Um, The county's contract with Equus runs through the end of this year and will cost $30 million. Another company called Telecare is responsible for providing mental health services to the hotels. And the county changed an existing $13 million contract it had with that company to get that done. Now, in your most recent report, you spoke to a couple of people who have worked for Equus at the Crown Plaza and a former resident of the hotel. What kind of conditions did they tell you about? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a challenging situation to be in regardless of who you talk to. Um, for re- employees, they're doing what they can, but they know it's not enough. You know, they say guests weren't receiving medication on time. Toddlers were going days without appropriate food. And they flat out told us that they're not trained to deal with most of the situations that they encounter, you know, especially when it comes to mental health episodes. And for guests at the Crown Plaza, it's, you know, it's not like they're there for vacation. They're, they're staying there under a public health order because they've come in contact with the coronavirus. And they told us from the moment they arrived, there is absolutely no empathy or compassion. They're treated like a burden from staff and, and harassed by security guards. Uh, one man we interviewed for the story said an issue about his service dog escalated to a security guard attempting to hit him with a chair. So was the iNewsource report the basis for this new county investigation into the hotel sheltering program? Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for confirmation on that. But, but here's what I can say. The, the county's order came eight days after our reporting on the situation. And when board chair Nathan Fletcher called for the independent review, he said it was, quote, in response to some of the concerns around what we're doing on hotels, end quote. So when is the investigation supposed to begin? So county staff was directed to return back to the board with a report on this review within 90 days. So anytime between now and 90 days, we'll have a better understanding of of what's going on. And Cody, what, if anything, is the long-term plan for these sheltering hotels? Are they supposed to continue being a housing resource for homeless people even after the pandemic? Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of a lot more reporting to do on the situation. That's certainly a question I have. Um, the, like I said, the county's contract with Equus expires at the end of this year. 
Um, but we might have a better understanding on the future of this program when county staff returns with that report uh, within the next 90 days. Um, because we don't, we don't, we still don't know what's going to come out of that report and, and what the staff will say about it. That was iNews Source investigative reporter Cody Dulaney speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. The San Diego Latino Film Festival kicks off tonight with two films on two screens at the South Bay Drive-In, but the majority of the films will be presented online. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando speaks with the exhibition manager Moises Esparza about programming the festival, and he shares his top picks. Moises, a year ago when I spoke to you, the festival was on its opening night and had to cancel because of COVID. Now it appears that the festival is kind of more at the tail end of the pandemic. So what has this experience been like for you as someone programming the festival? Canceling the festival and its launch date last year was a bit traumatic, (laughs) to say the least, now in retrospect. And kind of in the chaos of putting a stop to everything, it was hard for me to contextualize just how emotionally deprived I felt from not being able to launch a physical edition of the film festival. We ended up launching a virtual edition in September, which was in a way a great trial run for this new edition of the festival, which is also mostly virtual. But, you know, it's, it's a challenge. I think that film viewing is a communal activity. I think it deserves to be seen with friends, family, or with strangers in a movie theater. So we're still getting used to this virtual realm. With that being said, I think what's important is that we as a festival stay true to our mission and continue championing Latinx cinema from all over the world, regardless of the exhibition platform, whether it's in theater or virtual. It's it's weird. I f- we got canceled right or postponed, I should say, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And now that we're doing this edition a year later, I almost see the light at the end of the tunnel with things relaxing and easing. So I feel like if our festival is maybe two months from now, we might have been able to be back in theaters. Well, another thing that impacts your festival more so than I think other festivals in San Diego is the festival, the in-person festival attracted a crowd from south of the border, from Mexico, from Baja. And with a virtual festival, you are faced with what the distributors call geo-restrictions, where you're not allowed to have people from outside of a certain geographical region purchase your film. So how has that impacted you in terms of the audience you can serve? We are, in a way, a binational film festival because we're so close to the border. So there are some films that our audience in Tijuana will not have access to because of these geo-block restrictions. Prior to this virtual edition, we had individuals who would cross the border every day to watch films. And they would come from even further south in TJ sometimes. And it was just so impressive to see their commitment to, to, to attending the festival and watching these films. So in a way, I think that these, while I understand the necessity of these geo-blocking, I do think for such a regional festival, it's kind of a hindrance to us um, in terms of access to our films and potential revenue streams. And so, yeah, this, this geo-blocking is, is a challenge. 
Let's talk about the programming a bit. I know that sometimes when you're programming films, the process of selecting them is when themes or trends seem to appear. And I'm wondering if during this pandemic year and looking at the films, if anything kind of seemed to be a trend or a theme that came up. You know, it's really fascinating. And I think I could talk for hours about this topic is what I saw through a lot of the submissions is this reckoning with the topic of colonialism. A lot of the films I saw were this reckoning with how colonialism has bred violence that still exists to this day. And I think that's a really important thing to take notice of as, as a programmer. The fact that this discourse seems to be happening amongst Latinx filmmakers, this idea that the trauma of generations past gets passed down and it's, it's up to us to reckon with it. Are there any films you'd like to highlight for people who are looking to attend the festival? At our festival, we try to program with different themes in mind. So there's films about the immigrant experience, there's films about the LGBTQ experience, really just trying to champion as many different perspectives on what it means to be Latinx. And I think that some of the films that I can recommend the most deal with what I discussed earlier regarding this reckoning of the idea of the violence that colonialism has created. One of them is a documentary called 499 by Rodrigo Reyes, who is a master documentarian. He is just so skilled at at creating documentaries. And this one is really form-breaking and astonishing in the way it tells its story. It explores the idea that colonialism has directly affected the violence in Mexico that's occurring in modern times. So he frames it within this context of a conquistador arriving on the shores of Mexico in modern time. One of the other films that deal with this reckoning of colonialism is a narrative film called Blanco en Blanco, directed by Theo Cor with Alfredo Castro, who's one of the greatest actors working today. And what's really striking about this film is how it portrays how history is captured and how the way that history is captured is the way we interpret it as actually happening. I would say, Beth, that Blanco en Blanco is one of the more provocative offerings the festival has to offer, but I encourage audience members to, to take a chance on it because the reason to attend a festival in person or virtually is to watch films you would not typically watch and to watch challenging films and subject matters that are sensitive. It's part of the festival experience to expand horizons, to become a more <laughs> learned film goer. So Blanco and Blanco definitely gives audience members the opportunity to kind of embark on a truly film festival-esque journey, I would say. One of the things that's always key about your festival is discussions. So there will be a virtual discussion component to the festival again, correct? Absolutely. We are scheduling virtual Q&As for many of our films. They'll start immediately after the posted duration of the film. But if you're not able to watch it live, you can tune in afterwards. So they'll be available on our social media uh, channels. But I encourage film goers to watch these live because that's when you get to 
type of questions for the filmmakers. And we're trying to create a little bit of the festival in-person magic in this virtual space. But something that's awesome is that I've gotten to speak with more filmmakers than ever. It, it, it's amazing and awesome for me. So the discussions are my favorite part of the festival when we were in person. And now that I get to talk with filmmakers from all over the world, I mean, it's just, it's almost maybe like as, as cheesy as it sounds, a dream come true for me. Well, I want to thank you very much for talking about the Latino Film Festival. And as always, I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Beth. That was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando speaking with Moises Esparza. The San Diego Latino Film Festival begins tonight and runs through March 21st, both online and at two outdoor venues. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.